How many of you can remember what it was like when your first child was born? Hmm? After months of wondering and waiting, the big day finally arrives. Anticipation becomes reality. I can remember holding Jessica in my arms, looking into that cute little face, and just wondering, just wondering, what will God do with this young life? What will she look like when she grows up? What will she do with her life? How will God use her for His glory? I suspect that those kinds of thoughts are common for Christian parents. I suspect as well that 2,000 years ago, a young couple by the name of Mary and Joseph had similar kinds of thoughts. Luke tells us in his Gospel account that after the shepherds had come and had announced to Mary and Joseph all that the angels had told them about this child, that Mary treasured those things up in her heart, pondering them. Pondering them. The birth of Jesus Christ was unlike any other birth before or since. Because in the birth of Jesus Christ, God Almighty stepped into space and time and took to Himself human flesh, made like us, so that we might be like Him. What a spectacular event. An event that had been foretold by the Old Testament prophets, announced by the angel Gabriel, Attested by the heavenly host, proclaimed by the shepherds, witnessed by the wise men, and longed for by pious Jews for generations. This morning we're going to look at the account of one such man, a man by the name of Simeon. A man who personally participated in the amazing events of those days. And in the process, we're going to gain a deeper appreciation of the message of Christmas. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke's Gospel in chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 35 this morning together. Luke's Gospel. And as we explore Simeon's story together, I want you to do a few things with me. I want you to recognize his piety, that is, his religious devotion, his reverence. I want you to enter into his eulogy, and I want you to understand his prophecy. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him in his arms and he blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you will let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even to your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What a fascinating little account Luke has given us here. We need some background material to delve into this. We need to go back to millennium and get ourselves into the right mindset to understand what's going on here. Back in verse 21 of this same chapter, it says that when eight days were completed before his circumcision, that is Jesus' circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Jewish law said that a mother was ceremonially unclean after the birth of a son for a period of 40 days. At the end of that 40-day period of uncleanness, she was to present an offering there in the temple. The offering would normally consist of a lamb and a pigeon or a dove. But if she were poor, if her family were poor and could not afford the normal offering, then she could instead offer two doves or two pigeons. We note Here in verse 24 that they offered two pigeons. They were a poor family. A poor family. In addition, the firstborn son was to be presented to the Lord there at the temple and redeemed with an offering of five shekels of silver. Mary and Joseph were devout Jewish people. They were there in the temple fulfilling the law and its requirements for their son. And it was there into that setting that they encounter this man, Simeon. Notice how it says for us in verse 25, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Behold, the word in the Greek is edu, and it means to look. It means to pay attention. It means to see. It means to listen. It would be like a spotlight on a corner of a dark stage illuminating a character standing there. 
Luke is telling us, pay attention to what is about to happen here. This poor young couple entering into the temple to fulfill the requirements of the Jewish law in accordance with how they have been brought up. A very common occurrence. That which would be normal. That which would go without notice as parents came and went and performed these functions. But behold, something marvelous is going to happen. Because up to this young couple is going to come this man, Simeon. His name means God has heard. We don't know a thing about this man outside of what is revealed for us here in these few tantalizing verses. He's not identified by Luke as either a priest or a a leader of any party whatsoever. According to verse 29, he may be an old man. He says, let your bondservant die in peace. It's possible he's an old man, but it's not necessarily so. Luke tells us nothing about him. Nothing about his age. Nothing about his vocation. Luke only focuses on his spiritual condition. His piety. His religious devotion. His reverence for the God of Israel. He was a man, verse 25, who was righteous and devout. Righteous. That is, that he was well behaved towards other men. Devout, careful with regard to his religious duties. He was a man who conducted himself in such a manner that his behavior with respect to both men and God was the object of God's approval. Simeon, devout, righteous, looking for the consolation of Israel, it says. The consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This phrase, the consolation of Israel, is a, is a phrase that is loaded with Old Testament theology. We are not going to take the time this morning to try to unpack what all of that means, but it essentially refers that, to the time of the Messiah's coming, the consolation of Israel. Simeon was looking for the deliverer. He was looking for the one, according to Isaiah chapter 40 and verses 1 through 5, for the entrance of the Messiah who would end Israel's alienation, her suffering, her bondage to foreign powers. It was also the age of the Holy Spirit, according to Ezekiel 36. The one who consoles and encourages the believer. Simeon, this righteous and devout man, was looking for the coming one. Oh, the nation of Israel, it was bad at this time. It was bad in a way that we here in America can't understand. The nation was ruled by a foreign power, Rome, who with an iron fist controlled the land. A cruel king, Herod, was the local authority. You didn't want to cross him or you would end up dead. Taxation was severe on the people. 
Herod had an immense ego and and he satisfied it in building projects that required excessive taxation on the poor. The religion of Judaism by this time had become externalized in the form of legalism practiced by the scribes and the Pharisees. That sect known as the Sadducees who controlled the temple grounds were in it for what they could gain. They were a worldly-minded group. Stealing from the people the process of them coming to perform their worship. These were dark, dark days in Israel. God had been silent for 400 years. No prophet in the land. The Old Testament had closed with Malachi and God had been quiet for four centuries. But even in the midst of the darkness and the despair, there were still a remnant of men and women who were earnestly looking for the consolation of Israel. Looking for the coming One. Luke tells us the Holy Spirit was on Simeon, one of these lookers. One of these ones who were searching and waiting. He had been promised by God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. What an amazing promise. And so I imagine that every day he would spend his time there on the temple grounds, looking and wondering, is today the day? Is this one the one? Verse 27 says, He came in the Spirit into the temple. That is, He was moved and controlled by the very Spirit of God. Impelling Him. Simeon, today is the day. Into the temple you go. Messiah is here. Spirit moved him into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, that is the paying of the of the temple tax, and he comes up to them, verse 28, and he takes the child in his arms and he blesses God. Simeon was a vessel prepared for God's use. He was assigned the joyful task of witnessing the coming Messiah. He believed God's Word. Regardless of the circumstances around him, regardless of the bleakness of the situation, he believed God's Word. He lived accordingly. He was looking for God to fulfill His promise to deliver the nation. And so there, the child comes in the Possession of his parents, verse 28, and Simeon comes up to him and he gathers the child into his arms and it it says he blessed God. Eulageo. In the Greek, he eulogized God. This is his eulogy. That is his spoken blessing. A eulogy is a, a spoken or a written tribute that extols the virtues and achievements of someone. At a funeral, we eulogize the deceased. The same word can also be translated and is translated here as to to praise or to bless or to speak well of. 
Recurs again down in verse 34 where it says, Simeon eulageo them, blessed them. What speaks about God, to eulogize God is to, is to pray back a prayer of thanksgiving. And that's what Simeon does here. Simeon represents the nation. He represents the, what's left of the nation, the remnant of the nation. And beyond that, all of humanity. Those who are ready to receive the Christ child. And so he begins his eulogy. Verse 29. Now. Now. Messiah has come. Messiah has come. That which I have looked for has occurred. Now. He says. You can let your bondservant depart. He's ready to die peacefully. He has seen God's salvation. Simeon is a, he's like a watcher. He's like one who had been assigned to a post, like a, a sentry assigned to a post. And he's watching and he's waiting for the coming one. And he says, now you can let me depart, Lord. I have seen the coming one. Back during World War II, there was a group of men, about 400 in number. They were called Coast Watchers. They occupied various islands in the Pacific. And it was their responsibility to remain at their post upon those islands and report on enemy naval movements. Not to flee their post, but to stand by their post and to wait and to watch. Weeks Months could go by and there would be nothing to report, no activity, yet they were to remain at their post, watching and waiting. This is Simeon. Watching and waiting at his post. And his eyes are opened. He says, verse 29, Now, Lord, let your bondservant depart in peace according to your word. Why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. I have seen your salvation. It's interesting, he, by the way, he doesn't say that he has seen the Messiah. You notice that? He doesn't say, Lord, now let me go home. I've been waiting for Messiah to come. And there he is. I can go now. He says, Lord, I have seen your salvation. I've seen your salvation. For when you see Messiah, you see Messiah's purpose. The salvation of His people. Verse 31, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He has seen the amazing salvation of God. A salvation so amazing, not just because it relates to Israel, but because it goes beyond that to the whole world. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. It extends to all. Why does the world need salvation? What is the big deal for coming a Messiah? What is salvation? The Bible says that we have sinned. We have sinned. For all have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. That is that all people, men, women, boys, girls, come into this world with a certain bent within their soul towards independence. A desire to live life their own way. Make their own rules. Live without regard to their Creator. Sin entered the world, the Bible tells us, back there in the garden and passed on through Adam and Eve to all of their children right through to the present day. You and I, being members of the human race, are descendants from Adam. And we have inherited that self-bias, that rebellious heart, that sinful inclination, that desire to live without regard to our Creator, to make our own rules, to be our own boss. The Bible also says that the wages or the payment of sin is death. Death. Death is separation, fundamentally. It is separation. When you stand graveside and lower a casket into the ground, you lower the body into the ground, there has been a separation that has occurred between body and soul. Back there in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit that had been forbidden them, they died. That is, that they were separated from God. Death is separation. The relationship with God has been severed. We live alienated from our Creator. We live in a way that was not intended for us to live. We live in a world of frustration. We live in a world in which we are sinned against and we sin against others. It has a stranglehold on us. Why can we not just reach up to God and resolve the problem? Why can't we just get to God on our own, just reform our behavior, just stop doing the things that we know are wrong to do? Why don't we just stop thinking the kind of thoughts we think that we know are wrong? Why don't we just do things right? Why don't we? The Scripture tells us we're in bondage to sin. It is a harsh taskmaster. It enslaves us. We cannot reach to God. God must reach to us. The arm of the Lord is not too short to save, the Scripture says. God did reach down to us. We call it Christmas. Christmas. The greatest gift imaginable. God became man and dwelt among us. That He might take the guilt of our sin upon Himself. Go to a cross and there die in our place. And that when we, by faith, Embrace that sacrifice, believing His death was not for Himself, but for us. And thus, His resurrection evidences His righteous gift. The Bible tells us that that broken fellowship, that broken relationship between us and our Creator is restored. 
Sin no longer has dominion over us. It no longer enslaves us. It no longer rules us. We no longer have to do that which is wrong. I have seen your salvation, Simeon says, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It is available to all, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It is for all. The Savior has come. This is the Christmas message. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And let every heart prepare him room. In heaven, in nature, sing. The problem is, folks, that not every heart wants to prepare room for him. Not everybody is interested in this Messiah. And that's the essence of verses 34 and 35, Simeon's prophecy. Under direction of the Holy Spirit, Simeon predicts that this little child will be the one who will both disclose the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel and as well as the spiritual condition of each and every person, including you and me. And Simeon blessed them, verse 34. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, pay attention, Mary. This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. It's a little parenthesis here. Let me read over it for a minute. To the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon says, Mary, this little child that I hold in my arms, this 40-day-old infant boy, has been appointed to be the great divider of human history. All will divide over Him. Not because it just turns out that way, but because that is the way God has planned it. That is the way God has appointed it. Throughout His public ministry, Jesus frequently proclaimed, to his people, that the only way to the kingdom, into the kingdom which had been long sought, was by following him. He said, you are looking for the coming kingdom of God. The only way in is through me. I am the entrance into that kingdom. How an individual Jew responded to Jesus was absolutely decisive with regard to their eternal destiny. Simeon predicts predicts that those who reject the child, those who reject God's anointed one, those who reject God's Messiah will in the end fall. And those who receive Him will rise and enter into Life everlasting. Beloved, what was true then is still true today. 
It is still true today. The Bible calls Jesus a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Those who reject him will stumble and fall. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters or comes to the Father except through me. He alone is the doorway. Appointed, verse 34, for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be opposed. He is the ultimate sign. By His life, by His words, by His works, He demonstrates that He is God. He said to his contemporaries, he who has seen me has seen the Father. What is God like? Look at Christ and you will see. He is the final focal point for all opposition to God through all the ages. Those who are opposed to the rule of God in heart and mind. One of the quickest ways to spoil a family celebration at this time of year is to bring up the subject of Jesus. Fascinating, isn't it? A Christmas celebration, a family dinner, where we would gather together to celebrate Christmas. And the fastest way to spoil it is to bring up Christ. For He is the one who discloses men's hearts. He will reveal what lies within. Your reaction to Jesus, hostility or submission, reveals where you stand in relation to God. It makes public that which God already knows. God already knows where each and every one of us stand in relation to Him. We make it public by our response Christ. Verse 35, Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce even to your own soul. He's speaking there of the pain that Mary will suffer as a mother of this Christ child. The sword, I think, speaks of the opposition that will grow against him in his life. Opposition that will come to a culmination, of course, in his rejection by his own people and his ultimate crucifixion. This time of year, many would like to keep Jesus in the manger. He's safe, he's non threatening, he's kind of cute. Let's keep him in the manger, let's keep him where we can control him. Let's retain our own autonomy, our own authority over life. Keep Him in the manger. But the inevitable outcome of His birth is that people are brought to a decision by His life and death. This one was born to die. And how you respond to that reality reveals what lies within your heart. 
What will be your decision this Christmas? What are you going to do with the Messiah? Will another year go by with the same old reactions? String the lights on your house, set up the tree, sprinkle the tinsel here and there, put another log on the fire, heat up the wassail, cook a good dinner. Let's have a grand old time. And let's avoid for one more year our date with destiny. Or will you this Christmas come face to face with God Almighty? First in the face of a child, but ultimately in the face of a man who died on a Roman cross that you might be forgiven and reconciled back to your Creator. Simeon rejoiced and praised God for such an amazing gift. What will you do with Jesus this Christmas? Let me pray. Our Father, You are our Creator. You have granted us life. And You sustain that life moment by moment. And the life, our Father, that You have granted to us is not a, a gift without purpose. But the Scripture tells us that You have granted us life that we might live it for Your glory and not our own. We confess, our Father, that we are miserable failures. We are sinners, body, soul, and mind. We confess, our Father, that even in those moments when we desire to do that which is right, we are unable to do so. We are in bondage to our own sin. We confess, our Father, that we have no ability to get back home. To be reconciled to You. To reach out and grab hold of You. We need a Savior. Like a drowning person, we need a life preserver. We need the Messiah. Born, though, many years ago. Who lived and died to save and deliver those who would embrace Him by faith. Our Father, we thank You for the Christmas message and we thank You for the reality that each and every year we are reminded of what a great gift You have given. We thank You for our time together here even now and for the beautiful music in which this message is woven. We thank You for the Scriptures that speak to us with such clarity and enable us to see and know You. I pray, my Father, for those who are here this morning who have come without knowing Christ. And I pray that You would open their hearts to receive the good news. And for those who do, Father, may You help us to rejoice. Fill our hearts 
with joy overflowing. We pray in the name of that one who came, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.